We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Good morning, Gloria America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, back from a day in New York City. Thanks to Dwayne for stepping in for me yesterday. The good news about having to go back and forth to... Uh, the Big Apple in one day gave me time to actually figure out and write down, and I'll come back to this, why the massacre on Saturday has been so stunning to so many people in the business of journalism. And they are discombobulated, so they don't know how to talk about it. I didn't. I still don't know how to talk about it because I sort of thought the Nazis had gone away. I know there are nutters out there. I know there are crazy anti-Semites here and there, but, but coming to grips with a legion of of the same sort of killers that Hitler sent into uh, Poland and Ukraine to just mow down uh, Jews is is not something I expected to do in my broadcast career. News this morning, massive rocket barrage has uh, fallen on Ashkelon, which is a city in southern Israel, as Israel prepares for war. It doesn't know how long it's going to be a war or uh, the tactics or or occupation. That's all up in the air. But the Israeli Defense Force warned the 1.1 million Palestinians in northern Gaza to evacuate within 24 hours to try and make this understandable to you. The Beltway is about the size of Gaza. You know, you take the 495 around Washington, D.C., and it's got Virginia and Maryland and, and, and D.C. in it, District of Columbia. So it would be like telling everybody in Virginia to head to the northern suburb or the northern parts of the district and into Maryland, because I assume Israel is going to level most of that area and they don't want civilians killed. Hamas, of course, immediately put out a warning saying, don't go anywhere because they need the human shields. They want the death toll to be high. It always worked in the past. It always deterred Israel and it deterred the world, but not after Saturday. It's not going to. Uh, stories have emerged as well of Hamas militants having detailed uh, maps of Israeli towns and military bases, infiltration routes. It's in the Wall Street Journal this morning. Today is the global day of jihad, allegedly. Uh, we know that uh, earlier this week, uh, a senior member of Hamas, Khalad Mashal, who is the former leader of the political wing of Hamas, released a video statement to Reuters uh, that uh, calling on Hamas supporters to deliver a message to the squares and streets, a message of anger that we are Palestine. Marshall mentioned the concept of jihad. Some outlets reported he had urged a global jihad. Generally speaking, the day of rage is underway in Jordan and other places. I don't know what's going to happen in the United States. Hopefully nothing. I'm sure law enforcement's on high alert. The House Republicans are in meltdown. uh, uh, Steve Scalise, let me play the clip of... uh, the majority leader, who had received uh, the majority vote of the Republican House caucus to become speaker, 
Here is Steve Scalise um, looking cut number 19. It's been quite a journey, uh, and there's still a long way to go. Uh, I just share with my colleagues, and I'm withdrawing my name as a candidate for the speaker designee. Uh, if you look at over the last few weeks, if you look at where our conference is, there's still work to be done. Uh, our conference still has to come together and is not there. Uh, there are still some people that have their own agendas. And I was very clear, we have to have everybody put their agendas on the side and focus on what this country needs. This country is counting on us to come back together. This- Steve Scalise is such a good man, but like Kevin McCarthy, he cannot satisfy a rump of the Republican caucus. There are 221 Republicans and more than four of them, so at least five, refuse to vote for the majority selection. I I do not know what's going to happen. I do know we are sending two carrier strike force groups into the Mediterranean within range of Hezbollah's missile arsenal of 140,000 to 150,000 missiles. And some of those, if not all of those missiles, can reach our fleet that will be there. And it's going to be at least, I would guess, 17, 18 ships. It might be more. I don't know what's in the first strike group, the fourth strike group. It's our latest carrier. It's our biggest carrier. A second carrier is on the way. They're going to be close enough for the missiles that Hezbollah has. The president of the United States didn't even bother to name Hezbollah when he spoke about don't don't even think about getting involved, you unnamed people. He wouldn't name Iran. He wouldn't name. That's why I didn't like the speech. A lot of people, oh, a great speech. He stood with Israel. Uh, I understood he, he stood with Israel. I welcome that part of it. Not naming the people you are trying to deter is is weak. It is so weak. Uh, much politics is now enveloping not just the Republicans, but the, the would-be Republican candidates for president. Last night, Vivek Ramaswamy. Well, let's go back and set this up because I, I, I'm walking into this a little bit late. Vivek Ramaswamy gave an interview to Tucker Carlson two days ago, cut number 10. It is wrong what happened to Israel. And I call that out as a a human being and as somebody who's on a belief of some people are on the right side and the wrong side of a conflict. I think that that is far clearer here than it is, for example, in the Russia-Ukraine conflict or other areas where people have baked that cake. But the selective nature of ignoring certain other conflicts, while even more importantly, ignoring the interests of the U.S. right here at home, is what irritates the heck out of me out of the politicians in both parties. And it is shameful. And I think that there are, frankly, financial and corrupting influences that lead them exactly to speak the way they do. That's no, I, do, I don't believe Vivek is anti-Semitic in the least. I've talked to him enough. But that is a trope uh, about Jews running the media. Too close to it for many people. I don't know that he intended that. He went on last night with Sean Hannity to talk about it. And this is the exchange that occurred. Cut number 21. One of the things I loved about that interview with Tucker, one of the things I loved I about that interview with Tucker was we were actually able to have a thoughtful conversation <laughs> and go Listen, deep into issues Tucker all you want. rather I than like this Tucker. kind of, I've got that a kind long of way political with gotcha. The point is this. You, yeah, you, so you, you go on these interviews. Said. Yeah, I, I, I have nothing but nice things to say, but here's your problem. People you go on these shows, people quote your exact words and you deny your own words. And I'm saying if you're going to be a Sean, presidential candidate and you're going to spend, you, I'm going to give you your exact words. Either you're the one, own Sean, you have been sitting here for years talking about the fake news media. Did you play this you have all been, the Sean, time? This is, I'm enjoying this. 
You have been laughing about the fake news media how many times for the last several years, and now you're buying the mainstream media narrative when Excuse you know how corrupt me, it is. I am this following is a you. Game. I am quoting your exact words. Did I not quote your exact words? Did I, or did, I, did I or did I not quote your exact words? But then they ended it. They were they were they just devolved into uh, brutal knockdowns between Sean and Vivek. Interviews are not debates on this show, and so Vivek is welcome to come in and explain what he was talking about, and I'm sure he will at some point. Governor DeSantis took off the gloves last night, taking advantage of Donald Trump's um, apparently, uh, I haven't even heard the original Trump thing. I was traveling Wednesday and Thursday, but the former president said something about Hezbollah, and DeSantis took out after him last night, cut 23. I'm appreciative of, of a lot of his policies. But here's the thing. Um, you know, I don't think the American people will elect him again. Uh, and I think we saw this in the midterm election when the Democrats ran the playbook of linking our candidates that he was supporting to January 6th, to all these other things that turned off a lot of independent voters from Republicans. We should have won the biggest midterm landslide since like 1946. We have a president that's incompetent. We have a president that's unpopular. We have inflation. We have all these problems, an open border. This was a layup. We should have won a massive majority in the House, and we should have swept every Senate seat. And, and that was really the, the, a factor that turned voters off. So, And I think the data has shown the voters that dislike Biden and Trump, most of them dislike Trump more. That's just the reality. So as Republicans, we've got to say, okay, what's the path to win? The path to win is the country wants a change from Biden but they want to start fresh. They want somebody that um, that they can get behind. They don't want to litigate the past. They don't want it to be about somebody's individual issues. They want it to be about their issues. And that's what I represent as a candidate. I mean, you can tell, you'll see me out there as president doing your work. And when that's not happening, I can tell you, I'm not going to be tweeting at 3 a.m. different things. I'm going to be with my kids uh, for, you know, for, for helping them with their homework. I'm going to, you know, see them in the morning. I'm going to be with my wife. I'm going to do it like that's just what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be generating drama. I'm not going to be alienating people unnecessarily. And, you know, as a leader, you take when you make decisions, some people like it, some don't. That's natural. That goes with the territory. You can't please everyone. But why would you go out of your way to alienate people? Uh, by behaving. You know, I think we got to look higher. Uh, I think we got to give some something for the people to aspire to and a type of leadership that's, you know, reflective of some of our great leaders in the past. Like, like I'll Reagan, come back to this after uh, the break. I, I understand that the campaign has to go on. The House GOP has to work out its stuff. But could we focus everybody on the fact that anti-Semitism, the ancient evil, came back on Saturday in a way. I'll talk to you about my Washington Post column this morning when I come back. Uh, Why Hamas and the methodical slaughter of Jews carries a special horror. It's over on the landing page on the Washington Post right now. And I, I just think everything should draw context from the moment we are in. And we are on the cusp of war. And Hezbollah has 140,000 missiles, and Iran's got a lot, too. We just got to focus on that. Stay tuned, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Senator Dan Sullivan is also Colonel Dan Sullivan, United States Marine Corps Reserves, uh, a veteran of many theaters, many deployments to the Middle East. He's on the Armed Services Committee, former uh, staff member on the National Security Council and at the Pentagon. Good morning, Senator. Thank you for joining me on the end of a grim week. Yeah, good morning, Hugh. And by the way, a great piece that you did um, in the post 
uh, on the special horror of this grim week. It is just, uh, I think for a lot of us, unimaginable, but I guess it's not unimaginable anymore. And um, but that, That's the point. I'm just sort of stunned. I When I see these silly people at UCLA, and across our alma mater, by the way, had a oh, bunch gosh. of people stand with Hamas after a massacre equal to anything the Nazis did with their death squads. What is wrong with people? I mean, I really did not think the depth of anti-Semitism and Jew hatred was this widespread, this this lasting, this enduring. Well, I think it's uh, shocking. It's shocking to see all over the world. I mean, the good news is Americans are coming together. We had a big solidarity event with our Jewish community in Anchorage uh, just two nights ago that was about standing with Israel, standing with the Jewish community in our state, which had a really great turnout, very powerful. Um, but I will tell you this, uh, you mentioned it, the places in America that are supposed to be teaching the next generation of Americans uh, about leadership and about service, in my view, have almost utterly failed. Our alma mater, Harvard, the new president there came out with some kind of mealy mouth statement that was kind of trying to look at all sides of the supposed conflict and, you know, doesn't have the fortitude, a leader of supposedly one of the greatest universities in the world to call out evil and just say, this is evil. This is moral clarity moment. And um, it's happening to all universities across America, not all, but the supposed, um, you know, top ones. And it's a, it's a sad day. I, I hope, uh, I've been going. I've been going to war with Harvard for years on their ROTC policy, on their wokeness. But this is just uh, too far. This new new president has really failed. Well, Dan Senor, it's not just Harvard. Dan Senor just wrote about UCLA. Guy Benson's been writing about Northwestern. UVA has problems. It's everywhere on every campus. There are nests of people indifferent to facts. Uh, Senator, you're a good lawyer. You clerked at all that good stuff. Uh, just war doctrine requires a just cause, legitimate authority, comparative justice, right intention, probability of success, proportionality, last resort, immunity of non-combatants, and right intention. I think Israel's uh, attack on Gaza and the, the invasion we expect fits that definition. What do you think? I agree 100%. And remember... This is the giant difference, and you talked about it in your op-ed recently. Um, what we just saw was um, not just evil, but purposely going after civilians, purposely targeting innocent you know, grandmothers and babies. That was the whole point. That was their strategy. The Israelis are going to do what they have to do, and I'm hoping that our country will fully back them, not just today, but in the weeks and months ahead, Hugh. And, but, you know, it's kind of like with our military. We never targeted civilians in the Middle East the way al-Qaeda did and the Taliban did, and the Israelis won't target civilians. Will there be collateral, um, you know, uh, injuries and deaths? Unfortunately, likely because Hamas and these other terrorist groups use civilians as shields. But that there are so many differentiating elements here. But one of them is they go after the terrorists, extremists. They go after civilians. 
Western democracies like us and the Israelis don't, and people need to remember that. But yes, this is a just war. So, Senator, do you think it will bring clarity to people who understand why we say Iran may not have a nuclear weapon? Because Iran funds Hamas. Iran is Hamas. Iran is Hezbollah. If they have a nuke, the fanatics will use it to kill Jews. That's I mean, that's their whole they don't even mind if the regime goes down afterwards. Well, the one thing I hope will come out of this, Hugh, is that the Democratic fever dream of Iran that Obama and Biden have pursued relentlessly will finally break. And we all know what it is, right? They get into office. They have these supposed sophisticated policymakers, and they do it every time. They kind of smack Israel down. And they look for the Iranian so-called moderate who is going to be boosted up and somehow change the trajectory of what's happening in the Middle East. And they do it all the time. Biden, it was as bad as Obama on this fever dream. Just look at the list, Hugh. When Biden came into office, first day they removed uh, the Iranian-backed Houthis from the State Department list of foreign terrorist organizations they rescinded the American snapback of U.N. sanctions at the Security Council. Um, and then the big one, which just drives me crazy, is that they started making sure Iran could export oil. We literally went from maximum pressure under the Trump administration to maximum deference. The Iranians, as you probably know, in June of this year had hit a five-year record of oil exports. There is no way in hell sanctions could happen that were enforced um, if it weren't for this administration lifting them. And so that gives the Iranians money to do exactly what happened over the weekend with Hamas. And then the whole issue of not um, responding to their aggressive actions against American troops, the $6 billion hostage deal. It has been appeasement of Iran from day one, just like Obama did. And my God, if this doesn't wake up this administration to start finally clamping down um, and crushing this regime, I don't know what will. But the appeasement of Iran, which is what Democrats do, they do it. I see it. And then, of course, you, you and I know nobody talks about it. Um, over 2,000 of America's best and brightest soldiers, Marines, sailors, were killed by the goddamn Quds Force um, uh, when they were supplying the Iraqi Shia militias with these sophisticated IEDs. They killed and wounded so many of our amazing military. At the same time, John Kerry is palling around with the foreign minister of Iran negotiating the JCPOA. It is just sickening. And now we're Senator, let, let me go to let me go to the um, immediate risk. We have a carrier group in the Med, a second one on the way, and I believe a Marine Expeditionary Force in the Persian Gulf. Certainly the naval vessels and the sailors in the Mediterranean are within range of Hezbollah's 140,000 missiles. They're not the rockets that Hamas uses. They're, they're missiles given by Iran. They can hit our ships. The president did not name Hezbollah or Iran in his message on Tuesday night. Do you think deterrence works without specificity? No, and we lost deterrence with Iran. I mean, deterrence with Iran is gone, 
again, they've attacked our troops, you know, dozens of times, uh, our troops in Syria, and we have barely responded at all under the Biden administration. Look, the one time we started to show a little backbone on deterrence, and I give President Trump enormous credit on this, is when we finally said enough with regard to Soleimani, the head of the Quds Force. When the Trump administration killed that guy, that was starting to reestablish deterrence. And by the way, he was in Iraq at the time. Um, to kill Americans. American troops. And by the way, you, a lot of people don't know this, that was a, there was a brigade combat team of American soldiers from Alaska at that time. Soleimani was actually casing the young men and women I represent in the U.S. Senate to kill more American soldiers. So we took him out. That was starting to reestablish deterrence. But um, And do you remember former President Trump said at the time after Soleimani was killed, if you strike, if an American is killed, I have a list here of, I think he said, 50 targets in Iran, and we will we will blinker your country. If an, so they warned us they were going to send the missiles at al-Assad, and, and people got out of harm's way, and they de-escalated, because Trump established what would happen with specificity, Senator. Yes, and it's not easy to reestablish deterrence. And I, and I will say one thing that Biden, I'm hopeful, uh, can recognize, what I've been referring to as he needs to pull a Jimmy Carter. Now, look, at Republican senators don't often um, extol Jimmy Carter. And the, the um, parallels between Biden and Carter are pretty remarkable. Think about it. Carter came into office cutting defense spending. Uh, same with Biden. Carter, has been, Carter came into office attacking American energy production, unleashed inflation. Same with Biden. Carter exuded weakness on the international stage, which greenlighted. The Soviet Union's invasion of a sovereign country, Afghanistan, same with Biden on Ukraine. But the one thing Carter did do is he looked around the world in his last year in office and said, boy, my weak policies are really, really causing an internationally dangerous world. I'm going to increase defense spending by 14 percent. That's what Carter did. The Reagan buildup actually started at the last year of Carter. Biden needs to wake the hell up on the same issues. And he has been cutting defense spending since he got into office. You know, the current Biden budget, Hugh, shrinks the Army, shrinks the Navy, shrinks the Marine Corps. Next year, the Biden budget on the defense um, investments will be below 3% We've been of GDP. We've been below 3%, I think, uh, four times in the last 70 years. And we have the most dangerous world since World War II. And this guy continues to eviscerate the military. It's um, Senator, quick, quick exit question. Pull a Carter. Do you have any any words of wisdom for your colleagues in the Republican Party across the Congress? Because one of the gang of eight, Mike Turner is going to the gang of eight. That's great. But the speaker goes to the gang of eight, too. And they're not going to the gang of eight because we don't have a speaker. What What is your admonition to your Republican colleagues about their act getting together? Well, look, unlike a lot of my Senate colleagues, I've never served in the House. Um, but I will tell you this. Um, we have this incredibly dangerous moment. And the one thing our federal government is supposed to do is provide for the national defense. You can't do it without a speaker. Again, I haven't served there, but whether it's uh, Kevin McCarthy or Scalise or Jim Jordan, I know all these guys, and they're all good guys. I do not know 
what our Republican colleagues are waiting on. And I certainly don't think it's a conservative standpoint to be joining with all the Democrats in the House to take out a speaker. Makes I no agree, sense. Senator. I'm about to talk to Ryan Zinke, like you, a, a veteran of, of uh, conflict. We'll talk about that. Senator Dan Sullivan from Alaska. Thank you for joining me, Senator. Continue the great work. I'll be right back, America, with Congressman Zinke of Montana after this. Welcome back, America. Congressman Ryan Zinke is, of course, a veteran of the SEALs. He joins me now. Good morning, Congressman. How are you? Good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, Congressman, I want to talk about two things. First of all, we've got a number of Americans held hostage in Gaza. You're a SEAL. You know how difficult this situation is. What do you expect to happen, and do you think our forces will play any role with the Israeli forces in liberating the American hostages? Well, it's a great question. And uh, first, a look at the scale. You know, when you look at the attacks in the Gaza Strip in the beginning, this is thousands of rockets, air, land, and sea, and clearly it was coordinated. It was co- coordinated at a scale. And now you have the Hezbollah in the north, you have attacks throughout Europe, and, and really you look at it, probably a nation state is behind this. So I, I think a larger issue is we've had joint military operations, naval operations with China, Iran, and Russia recently in the Persian Gulf. And to me, it's connected. This administration, the Biden administration, continues to deny the direct connection, but all the evidence points you know, to a larger you know, uh, nation state behind this. And, and I think all evidence points to Iran. It should be also noted that there's an envoy now uh, that has been disclosed that Perhaps he was uh, looking at sanctions or pro-Iranian in his, in his adjudication of sanctions. So the U.S. could have been shipping <clears throat> tens of billions of dollars, uh, violating sanctions, work, you know, work around delivering goods and materials to Iran. We saw the same thing during the $6 billion, by the way, Hugh, of, of, tra- of transferring that. And they, I, evidently they, they turned the switch off. That's $6 billion. Remember that how they did it is they had to circumnavigate sanctions by using a third country uh, to basically whitewash uh, the funds. So it, it seems like this administration uh, is in an intelligence denial, and that I think all roads in this case lead to probably Tehran and 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 causing you know global havoc. If you look at the region, Africa's in trouble. You, you there isn't a country there that that one would say. You know, it's stable long term. Uh, you look at Ukraine. This administration has no plan, uh, no objectives. Afghanistan was a colossal blunder uh, affecting our standing worldwide. And you have China. So to me, this is this is a coordinated sequence. Now you have the Middle East erupting the hostages, uh, many, you know, at the scale. And as, as a former SEAL Team 6 commander, you know, decisions on hostage, hostage rescue, number one, the mission is very, very difficult, oftentimes requires the element of surprise. I think what you'd find is the hostages now are distributed. And in a, in a network, there is very, very difficult at this scale to be successful in repeated operations for hostage rescue. Uh, I think Benjamin Notnew said it right, that uh, Israel is under attack. They're at war. Uh, Congressman, reestablishing deterrence is necessary. We've got a bunch of American sailors heading into harm's way in two-carrier task force. Hezbollah has 140,000 
missiles, not the rockets that Hamas uses, but missiles that can strike that task force. And we have lost ships to Iranian missiles before. Do you think the president was specific enough in his remarks on Tuesday, uh, the warning he delivered to people who are thinking about getting involved, didn't mention Iran, didn't mention Hezbollah. Does that establish deterrence? Well, this administration has been, for some reason, very, very pro-Iranian. And you, you see that who is in the administration, a lot of them are retreads from the, from the famous Iranian nuclear deal, which was a disaster as well. I think there's some reluctance to call uh, Iran for what it is. They're the central source of most terrorist activities in the Middle East. And this administration, you know, isn't isn't forthcoming. I think their intelligence denial, uh, their efforts largely have been have been resulting of, you know, allowing this to happen. If allowing is not the right word. But, you know, I, I think I think we were all surprised on what happened. And how, how, how does an intel, intelligence failure of this magnitude occur when, you again, you have thousands of missiles, you have uh, elements that are well-coordinated, sea, air, and land? How does the Israeli intelligence, which is normally very, very good, how do they miss it? And how do we miss it? And then when we see it, uh, we say there's no link between, between Iran. So Last you, question, right. Congressman, because we're running out of time. Will you speak to the conference today about getting serious? We, we can't not have a speaker at this moment. You know, and, and I did a lot, you know, I'll, I'll listen very carefully the last couple of days. Obviously, it, it's a concern for everybody. But I think it boils down to is, you know, I, I've been in SEAL teams and football teams and congressional teams, and all teams have rules. SEALs have rules of engagements, you know, football teams have rules. But it seems like this Congress, uh, you know, doesn't have rules or they're not adhered to, and there's no penalty or consequence for violating the rules. Uh, and get on the like floor and make them vote, Congressman, because I think they're going to lose their jobs. I think a lot of them are going to lose their jobs if we don't get a speaker in quickly because it's, it's a dangerous time. Congressman Ryan Zinke, I'm, I'm out of time this hour. Thank you. Come back next week. Fill us in. Uh, former commander of SEAL Team 6, congressman from Montana, serious man. I hope they listen to him in the conference today. Uh, the serious people should step up and talk to the rest of their dilettante buddies. And there, there's only a handful, but they paralyzed the, the United States Congress as war loom. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Congressman Mike Garcia from California joins me. He is a uh, former F-18 pilot in the United States Navy. He's one of the serious members of Congress. I kind of wish he and Crenshaw and Gallagher and Waltz and Zinke and the rest of the combat veterans would get together and speak directly to the members of the House GOP. Good morning, Congressman. Uh, thank you for joining me early in the morning. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me, Hugh. I appreciate it. Uh, can you give us an update, first of all, um, about do we do we have any more information on how many Americans are among the hostages in Gaza? No, I don't think we've got new information. There may be more information coming out this morning, um, but uh, obviously, what I'm hearing is uh, uh, something still uh, a few dozen uh, in the Gaza. Now, obviously, last night uh, the Israelis called for the evacuation of all UN personnel out of the north regions of Gaza. Um, I think that's an indication of another wave of, uh, of attacks coming here. So, um, but we, we don't have a full accounting yet of all Americans. And that, and that is obviously part of the problem. 
Now, Congressman, I was speaking offline last night with a retired captain friend of mine who tells me that the Hezbollah arsenal, 140,000 missiles, has the capacity to strike our ships. The president did not name Hezbollah or Iran specifically in his speech on Tuesday. Are you worried about the risks that some terrorist is going to pop off at the American fleet? Because those are those are ship killers. Yeah, we and we should be uh, worried about it. So it's a very legitimate threat to uh, to our fleet. Uh, we're we're in the uh, launch acceptability range of of those weapon systems, as you said. So there there seems to be a tendency from this administration to bend over backwards to uh, decouple any sort of uh, culpability with Iran and, and Hezbollah at this point. I think I think that's a very dangerous. He, he seems to be an apologist uh, with an appeasement strategy underlying it towards Iran, and that's that's a very that's putting our troops in harm's way. That's putting Israel in. Uh, greater harm uh, right now as a result of that. So we, we should assume that that's their intent and, and we need to take precautions and uh, we, we have the means to suppress that, but they should be on a target list and um, we should be eyes wide open that this is a very real threat. Last question on this. If you want to deter someone from a bad act, you have to tell them you know that you're going to assign them responsibility and what will follow. That's what Donald Trump did with the Iranians. They said, you send Soleimani to kill Americans. We'll, we'll kill Iranians that you send to Iraq to kill Americans. And, and Trump did. Should Biden deliver that kind of specificity in his messaging to Iran and Hezbollah? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the only way to deter, right? You can't, you, you, you can't just, uh, turn a blind eye and, and try to appease. You have to put a finger in the chest of these guys and not only have the forces there and be present, but uh, have the gall and courage to use them if necessary and make it very clear that it's, there's an on-ramp here. Uh, if you trigger that on-ramp, there's, there's going to be the, the, the wrath of a thousand suns being brought down on you and, and uh, this ends poorly for you. Uh, that's the only way you, you prevent a second front from opening up here. And uh, the, the Israelis uh, need that. They, they need us to be there uh, in the event of, of a second front or multiple front war here. And we, we, we can't be ambiguous about that. So now, Congressman, let's turn from the way it would be nice if we had a speaker of the House of Representatives to articulate <laughs> yes, that point would. of view to actually help in the deterrence part. I would guess we must look like a clown show to the rest of the world that we don't have a Congress. The, the Congress can't function without a speaker. What is the status in the House GOP since uh, Majority Leader Scalise withdrew and Speaker McCarthy was ousted? I, two moves that just I can't understand as a sort of center-right Republican who gets along with everyone. I just can't understand whoever is doing this to the caucus. Yeah, and if you saw, I gave a floor speech uh, leading up to that motion to vacate, calling it a, you know, a few Republicans running with scissors and all the Democrats voted for it as well, obviously. So they, they didn't know, know what the goals were. They didn't understand the unintended consequences. And they surely didn't understand, you know, the world order that would follow the days after that. But we are here now. Um, and so we are in complete disarray w- without a speaker. We can't even bring a, a motion or a resolution to the floor to condemn Hamas and commit to supporting Israel. Um, we, we can't even do that right now. So uh, Scalise bowed out. I think that was a mistake. I think we should have uh, forced a vote on the floor. We were having these conference meetings, which are every you know member of the party in a room, and it's like a therapy session. Um, but they're not trending well. We're actually dividing them. It's like a, going to a therapy session with your your spouse and finding out she had an affair. Right? It, it's it's good that you know, but it's not uh, you know positive movement. Um, 
we, we need to bring these votes to the floor and people become less courageous and and uh, sort of, you know, uh, a little less friction um, when they're on on the floor. Lights are on. Cameras are watching. Uh, and the imperative of having a speaker is a very real thing. So if, if you're going to slow this process down, if you're going to prevent a good American like Steve Scalise from becoming the speaker, then you, you should be held accountable to that vote on the floor. And, and the American people should know who you are, should know your name and should understand the rationale. And we we've got to force that. So it sounds like Jim Jordan uh, was going to have an opportunity. He came in second. He had 20 fewer votes than Steve Scalise uh, did a couple of days ago. And so his math problem is a little harder. And, his, you know, this is a, this is an even longer putt for Jim Jordan. And I'll support Jim Jordan because at this point we need we need to have a speaker. But uh, I, I think there's going to be more holdouts against him than there were against Scalise, unfortunately. Yeah, you see, I, I, I like both men. I thought Speaker McCarthy was doing a fabulous job, a great job. And now we are at That's a point right. where I'm looking to you and Dan Crenshaw, the SEAL, and Ryan Zinke, the SEAL, who's on next hour. I'm looking to Mike Waltz, the Green Beret, Gallagher, the Navy Intel guy. I'm looking to Derek Van Orden, the SEAL. To speak to the conference about the the risk, we are putting thousands of American sailors at risk, and the American people look at the House GOP and say they can't even elect a speaker. Yeah, we we have been doing that in these conferences behind closed doors, lecturing them. Uh, we've been giving them history lessons. We've been giving them uh, geopolitical implication lectures, and uh, for some of these folks, they they just don't seem to care. That doesn't resonate with them. They have personal issues or axes to grind, or they just want to be in the spotlight in a, in a couple of cases. So we, we have been doing that. Um, we've been compelling uh, in, in these cases, uh, you know, in, in moving forward. But uh, I, I think the, 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 the forcing function is the, is the actual vote on the floor, and we've got to get there. And, and, and the reality is not everyone cares about the same things like uh, Walt and I do, for instance. And, uh, um, you know, they, they care about other things. They care about media. They care about pressure. They care about social media. And uh, you've got to you've got to work that. So, um, well, I, I, I turn to people who have actually been shot at in anger uh, for serious level headed uh, conversations. And that would include the people that I named there. Let me ask you, Congressman, from the fighter pilot perspective, the Israeli Air Force is flying thousands of sorties over Gaza. And, you know, the precision yeah. munitions they have. How long? I mean, can can you take out a tunnel network from uh, an F-18? I don't know if the Israelis have F-18. I don't think they have, but they've got good fighters. Yeah, they've got uh, F-15s uh, with a larger capacity, actually longer uh, endurance, uh, more gas, more weapons than the F-18. So very good platform, uh, one that I used to help uh, them develop when I was at Raytheon for 11 years. We, we gave them sensors and weapons for those. So they, they have the means. Um, they, they, we are going to be seeing um, a, a level of penetration and strikes that um, hasn't been seen in, in a while. Here coming up is my feeling. I don't want to. I don't want to say too much, but yes, they, they have the means. They have the capacity. Uh, the real risk is the opening of a second front war, where we start seeing um, uh, sort of triaging of defense mechanisms uh, that that Iron Dome and David Sling do. They're going to start having to make tough choices on shot doctrine and rules of engagement that they would prefer not to if a second front is open. So um, they, they're going to be able to make it rain longer than Hamas can tread water, um, and they can do so against Hezbollah as well. But it's going to be very bloody. It's going to come with a lot of collateral damage, unfortunately, and they're going to be willing to make those trades to end this war. If, if there's one takeaway, you it's that Israel knows how to fight. They know how to win. 
and they know how to end wars with an outcome that is favorable to them, and they will achieve that, and uh, they will they will take whatever steps necessary. We just need to give them the maneuvering space and the resources to do so. Make sure that their magazine depth, uh, in, in terms of uh, you know having enough ammo, is is there, and that's that's something we in Congress need to make sure we're doing. This is why we have to have a speaker put in place so we can we can pass these bills. Yeah, I, you know it's an executive branch obligation in the first instance. Nixon said, send everything that can fly in 1973, 50 years ago during the Yom Kippur War. I know we're trying to rush that, but eventually you need an authorization, right? Eventually Congress yeah. has to act. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and we've got the support of the body right now. This this should be a relatively quick, you know, process. Uh, and I don't trust this executive branch. I know you, you, you're very aware of the, the gaps we have in the Navy right now. We have one of the worst secretaries of the Navy that we've ever had. And Secretary Austin is a very passive secretary of defense underneath the weakest commander in chief that we've had in the history of the country. So uh, Congress needs to be in this conversation. We need to be the, the, the strongest and, and most durable leg of this three legged tool. And right now we're not. So this is this is a real problem. We'll get. Uh, do you expect a, a vote on it. Congressman Jordan today inside the caucus? Uh, I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated by the constipation of the process. Like we want to get together and have rules conversations and amendments to the rules. Let's just have the vote. Um, so if, if I was running the show, we would be on the floor today having a vote on Jordan. Um, but, uh, I don't run the show right now. So, uh, I'm going to be pushing for that and, uh, we, we need to force the hand here and, and, and get the clarity. People just want clarity. Um, and, and clarity, you know, remarkably clarity comes quicker when you're actually on the floor. The oh, I'm not surprised. There are Republicans who do not want to be uh, be the problem in public right now because their careers will be over, uh, and That's they right. should be if they stop this. Congressman Mike Garcia from California, thank you for joining me, Congressman. Keep up the good thank work. You. Good luck in bringing some, some military order and common sense and seriousness to the caucus conversations today. I, it's just unbelievable. Morning, Glory America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. Hugh Hewitt here. Ben Dominich, editor-in-chief of The Spectator and Fox News contributor, joins me as he does every Friday to review. There are really two stories, Ben. Uh, there should only be one story, the war that uh, Israel is about to wage in response to the massacre it suffered Saturday. But we also have a dysfunctional House Republican caucus. So I want to get your takes on both of those before I go to some specifics. Um, your reaction after a week of in, of just sort of absorbing the heinousness of the depravity in Israel committed by Hamas? Well, I think my, my initial reaction, you know, and I've moved through different stages here, and, uh, and I've had to make sure that I turn my phone off uh, when I go to bed because I, I think doom scrolling on this is just, you know, inevitable. If you, if you start looking at the images and stuff like that, you're going to set yourself up for nightmares, and, and it's not a good thing. Um, Look, my overall reaction is that I think that we have been incredibly naive uh, in the West, not just America, but the West as a whole, about the degree to which the threats are uh, around the corner for uh, the Western world, really that we are being hemmed in in so many different ways. What we see happening, obviously, uh, in Eastern Ukraine is one thing that you know has dominated the headlines, but we're not paying attention to all the other ways that we're being. I mean, the, the phrase, that darling little phrase, the coup belt, uh, that is now applicable to uh, Africa, for instance. Uh, the, the fact that we have a China that is, you know, is sending all the different uh, saber rattling messages that they are, uh, and the fact, frankly, that we have not been, uh, I think, clear eyed 
about the threats in the Middle East that were very real even during this process. And look, you know, it, we, we are very shortly removed from having a lot of optimistic, happy talk about the potential for a deal between Saudi Arabia and, and Israel that would be historic and would be positive. Uh, but the fact that there was going to be a negative pushback against that, something that could be, I think, uh, pretty predictable if you step back and look at it, uh, and that so many intelligence services apparently did not have that as something that they could conceive of. Uh, I think we're going to look back at this and see, and ultimately learn that there were a lot of warning signs, there were a lot of clear signs uh, you know, of, of what could happen, uh, but a lot of people were, frankly, living in a fantasy land about the potential of it really happening. Uh, now, obviously, that's been breached, and I think that we need to be backing Israel to the hilt, and and what's going to happen next, and you, and you know this, Hugh, is that throw this out a week from now, two weeks from now, and there's going to be major pushback in American media. Uh, people who are currently, you know, probably posting support Israel or pray for peace things online are going to be saying, well, you know, they've gone too far. And, you know, we, we can't we can't have them, you know, sort of uh, get things out of control and that kind of thing. No, you, you, you have got to raise Hamas to the ground. And that, to me, I think is something that we need to be prepared for because it's just the clear eyed truth about the matter. Ben, I wrote a column for the Post this morning because I've been struggling with this all all week long. I sort of thought Nazis existed in pockets of one or two. I did not expect a thousand what they call the special SS units that went just to kill Jews. It was it was like we're back in 1944 and 45. And there are thousands of Jew killers. I'm just sort of still stunned by my naivete that there were so many people who would kill that. Well, but there, but, there was no objective. I, I don't think you're alone in that. I don't think that you can feel, you know, you shouldn't itself indict to the degree that I think so many, so many Americans, and this is something that, you know, myself and my wife and, and our friends have been, you know, sort of talking about in recent years. It's just that, you know, we felt like these risks were getting higher and higher and that like a lot of us in the Western world were, you know, were more focused on this in, in the kind of context of, uh, oh, well, these are just campus crazies. Or, or, you know, these are just extremists and they'll be yes. kept down. Well, but when, when the old people are sort of uh, starting to, you know, exit the political scene, when Nancy Pelosi exits the scene, who is there to keep the squad down? You know, who is there to actually keep things under control? And the answer is there isn't anyone. And I think that that's, you know, obviously that's the Western frame of this, but I think that's true generally of the world uh, that we have this experience now where there are a lot of people who are a lot more extreme than they let on and are willing to cross that line into actual bloody activity uh, with, uh, without, I think, any compunction. Yeah, we, I've always just thought the death to America, death to Israel chant is, is, is a malign version of cheering on the Ayatollah. It's not. Yeah. It's a resurrection yeah. of Nazi propaganda. It is. Let, let me ask you, Ben, about the House GOP. I just talked to Mike Garcia. He's one of the serious members of Congress. I've been talking to all the veterans. Ryan Zinke's coming up, Dan Crenshaw, Michael Waltz, Mike Gallagher, uh, Derek Van Orden. They've been lecturing the caucus that our fleet is going within range of the Hezbollah missiles. And we don't have a speaker. We don't have uh, one of the gang of eight is not there. Uh, the intel briefing gang that advises the president and the sec def on what to do. It's it's impossible for me to grasp how absurd this handful of Republicans are. Well, you know, they're absurd. They're unserious. And I think that this past week and everything that happened within it uh, just revealed how 
<laughs> much this was, and we, I know we talked about this last week, this was entirely motivated by personal animus. There was no principle involved. There was no ideology involved. There was no consistent status involved. And I know there's <laughs> some people in the, in, you know, in the fringes of conservative media who tried to turn them into the kind of you know, uh, crusaders that we've seen in the past. People who, you know, whether you uh, supported them or not, you know, actually stood on principle in terms of the fights that they were having internally. That doesn't apply to these people at all and on any level. And the simple fact is that, you know, now that, you know, Steve Scalise has dropped out, uh, we are going to go through, you know, something today that I think is going to be uh, difficult in terms of, of uh, you know, Jim Jordan trying to you know, gather together enough people to actually get a confirmable vote as speaker. And I think that the, the number one thing that we need to be doing right now, frankly, is reexamining the position of the speaker pro tem. Because, look, we've only had two of them in history. One was Thomas Jefferson. The next was Patrick McHenry. Okay. And so the, the fact is that there just aren't rules for this. You know, we didn't have the, the kind of uh, challenges and the kind of intel uh, briefings and, and the like the last time we had Speaker Pro Tem. And so I think, you know, frankly, this time around, uh, it's, we have to look at the idea that defining those rules and allowing him to do a lot of the things that a speaker needs to be able to do functionally uh, is something that we need to be looking at. And we certainly need to solve this problem going forward. Imagine if he was, uh, you know, in this position for, you know, multiple months or something along those lines. You know, he needs to be able to take those briefings, do those briefings, know what's going on and function essentially as, as a speaker, uh, you know, in the temporary sense. Uh, and without having the kind of, you know, restrictions that I think are currently placed on the roll. Yeah, they could do a 60 day or a 90 day uh, agreement where he'll be the speaker and then will yeah. resign while the Republicans sort out their problems. And, look, and Patrick Henry, it, it, he's been trying to get out of this for a long time. They pulled him back in, man. You know, he, yeah. he's been around in Washington. You know, he came in as, as the, you know, the youngest member at the time that he got elected at 29. Uh, and, uh, and he's been, you know, uh, looking forward, I think, to a lucrative finance, career in finance once he gets out. Uh, and, and this is kind of, a, you know, a weird situation for him. But look, the people who are there, just they, they cannot get to that. And this is a sign, frankly, of why McCarthy was the right guy for the job in the first place, because he could actually get to that level of numbers and bring people together. Uh, but he got assassinated by a group of people who just are children in terms of their actual priorities. Ben Dominich, follow him on Twitter or the site formerly known as Twitter, now known as that, at B Dominich and watch for him on Fox News. Thank you, Ben. When the government used emergency edicts during COVID to restrict the gathering and worship of churches, three pastors facing the risk of imprisonment, unlimited fines, and their own churches being ripped apart, took a courageous stand and reopened their doors in the face of a world that chose to comply. The Essential Church is a feature-length documentary that explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. This fascinating story uncovers those who've sacrificed their lives throughout history for what they truly believe in. Rediscover why the church is essential and how we prove that this stand remains true from a scientific, legal, and most importantly, biblical perspective. This is not your typical movie. It'll change your life. You need to see this movie with your friends and family. The Essential Church is streaming today exclusively at SalemNow.com. That's Essential Church. Streaming at SalemNow.com.